With that, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, we continue on in our series. Um, it's too nice, it's too comfortable in here. Why don't you guys fall asleep on me? Like, it's really mellow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll speak loudly. Maybe that'll keep you awake. First uh, Timothy six. Now, this is a real heavy letter, um, theologically, spiritually speaking. It just is, and so this series has been kind of heavy. I know I've been convicted and challenged uh, with with the message here, and that which, which Paul is teaching Timothy, because he's talking about what the church is to look like and, and how we're to function in a, in a fallen world, right? And we have sinful people saved, but you know, sinners saved by grace struggling along. And so it's difficult, right? So it has been kind of tough as he's, as he's talked about different instruction that we are to follow, commands that we need to obey as a church, how we are to function as God's people in this world. And as we come to the text today, we are going to look, I have in my notes four aspects, four things that we need to to uh, recognize, that characterize us as Christians and us as a church. But if I did the fourth one, we would be here like late into the evening. So we're going to do three today and one big one next week. How's that? Um, but but uh, e- even, even as he's talking to Timothy, the things that he speaks to are true and apply to all of us. They apply to you. And so you need to heed these things. It's not just Elder Paul speaking to young Pastor Timothy. It's that for sure. But what he's telling Timothy applies to all of us. So, so be awake, be aware, understand our calling demands these things as Christians. And what we talk about this morning should be, needs to be, ought to be indicative of, of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Each one of us, every single one of us. So let's look at the text, um, chapter 6. And I'm going to begin verse 14. 1 Timothy 6, verse 14. He says, teach people to command, to understand. I'm sorry, you know what? I, just like last week, I'm going to go all the way back <laughs> to verse 11. That's actually where our text is this morning. I'm losing my mind. Thank you for bearing with me. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. You fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, 
whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. Right, so that was our text for today. We're going to be looking, I think, at 11 and 12, basically. That contains the message for today. But it's, pa- it's packed. It's just packed with what we need to know and how we are to live as Christians, as the body of Christ in this world. So he begins just in verse 11, in verse 11, the first part of that, before he even gets into the instructions, he just, he gets, I don't want us to miss this because Paul calls Timothy a man of God. Don't you, that's an amazing title. That's just so filled. It's high praise indeed. Moses was called a man of God. A prophet was called a man of God. That person who absolutely belongs to God. So Paul calls Timothy man of God. He says, oh, you man of God. Again, shows, it shows high, high, high regard and deep love for, for Timothy. And it also conveys confidence that Timothy does belong to God. He's in the right place. He is the pastor there at Ephesus, and he's teaching. That's where he needs to be, and that's where God has him. And that title just indicates that Timothy... And I pray this is true for all of us, that Timothy is truly, truly belongs to God. He is an instrument in the hand of his Redeemer. He is sincere in his faith. He is faithful in his faith. He's a willing servant of God. Oh, man of God, what a compliment that is. Paul begins that and just, just exudes and express, expresses such love um, uh, for, for Timothy in regard for him as well. Then he gets into the teaching, and, and he exhorts him, and us. He says, but for you, O man of God, flee these things. And I'm going to stop right there when he says flee these things. And number one, the first thing that we need to learn and understand about this text, and it's true for all of us as Christians, is that the Christian life includes us running away, includes us fleeing. We're on the run a lot of the time. He tells him to flee these things. Now, he's not telling them to flee, and we as Christians, we don't run away from difficult situations. We don't run away from controversy. We don't run away from consequences brought about by living faithfully. When we're living, that's not what he means. We don't go hide in the corner. We don't take, that's not what he's saying here, and you'll see more of that as the sermon goes on. But what, what he's telling Timothy right now when he's teaching us is that we need to run, man. We need to run away. We need to flee from sin and from temptation to sin. That's a big deal right there. Um, in 2 Timothy, this is an ongoing exhortation, 2 Timothy 2.21, he says, So flee, run away, take off youthful pa- from youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure heart. So when we run away from our sin, we're exhibiting a pure heart. 1 Corinthians six eighteen: flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Then 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: you know this verse, you should know this verse, you should have this verse memorized and like be preaching it to yourself almost every day because of the temptations that we face. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man, and God is faithful, and he will not you not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape to take off to run to get get away from that that you may be able to endure it the greek word that he uses is a verb it's an active verb fugo is 
the, the verb that's used there when he says flee. That's the, that's the verb. And that means, right, you could see fu, uh, fugo. We, we get fugitive from that word. And that means to run away. You could see where that's going. To, to kind of to, by, by implication, it means to, to shun, to, to push away, to avoid, to reject. That's what it means. By analogy, it means to escape. It means to take off. And you know, it's a very intense word for us. But this is how, how we have to react towards temptation to sin. We need to run away from it. We need to take off in a desperate way. And it's almost like the picture, it is the picture of escaping your captors. But I was thinking of a, of, of a particular movie we watched one time long ago where this young lady was kidnapped by this man and he held her captive and it was in the woods and it was back far away, just secluded. And that girl was able to escape. What do you think she did when she got out of there? She just ran, man. She ran and she kept running. That's the intensity of this word. And that's what we need to have in our hearts and our minds when we think about temptation to sin is no, we need to flee from that. We need to run away from that. Psalm 1 tells us this, the first verse. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. See, this is the opposite of what we are to do as Christians. There's a progression here, just in this verse. It's an amazing psalm. Can't spend too much time on in it. But I just want you to see the progression of how we get captured by sin if we don't run away from it. Right? We need to pursue righteousness. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we need to run away from our sins. You understand? Because when you do this... We invite trouble. We get ourselves into trouble, don't we? When we? Okay, just think about walking along. If you're walking along with somebody and talking, it's kind of a casual conversation. You're not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, but you might entertain something. While somebody's talking to you, you walk along. But when that person says something that really strikes you, what do you do? You stop, don't you? What did you just say? Like you just kind of stand. So now, now you're standing. So first you're walking. Now you're standing. You're, you're in a little bit deeper. And then... You say, well, let's go down, let's go and sit down, have a cup of coffee and talk about this. Now you're sitting and you're getting comfortable with it. We're not to do that. We can't, we can't entertain that sin. We need to refuse to participate. Don't even entertain that going down. Those things that are unbecoming, those things that are not in accord with the word, those things that are not consistent with our faith. So we don't even entertain or listen to teachers or teaching that, that stray or stretches God's word even a little bit. Don't do that, man. Don't go down there. Run away from that. Turn away. In in, in a sense, we're we're always running, and we always need to be fleeing from sin. Do you know that? Are you fleeing from sin today, or are you entertaining that? Are you getting comfortable with it? Do you put yourself in a position where, you know, I'm just going to listen to this, or I'm just going to hear this person out, or I'm just going to think about this in my mind and I'm not running away from that. Or I'm going to put myself physically in that place or emotionally or spiritually. Don't do that. that he says, flee, Timothy. Run far, run fast. Don't, don't get comfortable there. In a sense, we're always on the run as Christians because if you're not running away from sin, that means that sin has you, that you've given in to sin, that you've been captured by it. So, so we need to we need to flee. Do you flee? Do you flee from sin? Or do you entertain it in your mind? Oh, just a little bit. I'm just going to play on the edges. I'm just going to do it a little bit. He says to Timothy, you flee from that. You run away from that. 
You don't even entertain that as Christians, right? That's a big deal, and that's what we need to learn, and that's what we need to do in our lives as his people, to flee from sin. It's also in the present tense. Do you know what that means, the tense of that verb? It means right now. It means you're running now, and you're going to keep on running. You don't say, it never ends. It doesn't stop. The immediate context, what he's talking about here is he's like, flee from the love of money. Don't become a pastor with the idea, or don't get in the ministry with the idea of making money. Don't use a ministry as a pretext for greed. That's the immediate context here. But you know what? This encompasses everything that would tempt us to turn away from Christ. We need to run away. He says you need to flee from that because we are being chased by sin. We're being chased by temptation to sin. Don't go there, right? Don't go there. We flee from that. Don't entertain that, right? Don't get involved in that conversation because you know where that's going to go, where it's going to lead to gossip, where it's going to lead to slander. Don't go there as a Christian. Refuse it. When, when there's, even, this is just like little things in our lives, but this goes for everything in our lives that would lead us to sin in a way. Right? Where the crew joking is, what? no, we don't take part in that. We flee from that. Are you running away or are you getting comfortable? Are you letting sin come in to your life? He tells him, he commands him, you flee from these things. That's number one. But number two, Christianity's not just about fleeing. It is always, we're always on the run from temptation to sin. But number two, it's also about going to. It's also about pursuing. It's also about chasing, as it were, right? And he mentions here six qualities, and they're just, they're just representative, not exhaustive, to be sure, but six qualities that should mark us as Christians. This is what we do pursue. This is where we do go. This is what we do run after in that way. He says, you, O oh man of God, you flee these things, right? But then he turns around and says, But you need to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, and gentleness. I'll just stop right there. Um, We're we're pursuing these things. Now, the idea here and the the way that it's structured, it's active, it's intentional. Again, we're pursuing this relentlessly. Now, we're the ones that are kind of chasing, but we're chasing after these things. Right? We're, not, we're not going towards sin. We're chasing towards righteousness. This has to do with our sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Not, not our sin, but our sanctification. And so we, we, we intentionally, by God's spirit and his grace, seek to grow in these ways. What's he say? Each one of these could be a message. We're not going to do that. I'm just going to briefly mention them. Is Number one is righteousness. What's that? It's that which is right. You're a Christian. You know what is right. You know what is true. You know what is correct. You know what his standard is, and that's his word. His ways opposed to the ways of the world. So are you pursuing righteousness? Are you pursuing Christ? Are you in his word? Are you in prayer? Are you dependent upon him? Are you seeking to know what his word teaches and then live that out in your life? Are we doing that? Are we confessing our sins? Are we being restored? Are are, are we walking in a manner worthy of our calling? Are you pursuing righteousness? Because when you become a Christian, man, yes, we are changed. We're transformed from the inside out. The Holy Spirit's in us. We're being sanctified. But we're not automatically just, boom, totally sanctified. We have to consciously be obedient and do these things. That is synergistic. It just doesn't, okay, I'm a Christian. Everything's wonderful now. I'm totally, no, man, it's, it's work. It's work in that way. So we pursue righteousness. We pursue godliness. We talked about that last week. I'm not going to say too much on it, but that's simply the reverence, the, the piety as Christians. We're not 
shallow and loose in our faith, it's not just a casual thing for us, it's a deep thing for us. Our faith in Christ is everything, because everything that we do kind of springs from our faith in Christ. And so that, that godliness is, is that reverence for him, knowing who he is, understanding his holiness, and being serious about that, grasping it, and then living our lives in light of that, in light of his holiness, in light of his majesty, in, in light of his magnificence man just who he is right that's our holiness so we're pursuing that that's what we go after don't chase your sin don't don't let sin catch you run away from that but now pursue righteousness he talks about faith that's just confidence in christ man it's it's not confidence in your feelings it's not confidence in yourself it's not confidence in your circumstance and your abilities it's not confidence in others it's total Trust, absolute dependence, sole confidence in Jesus Christ alone. That's what faith is. I believe him. I believe his words. Here's how I feel, but here's what his word says. What am I going to do as a Christian? Here, here's my subjective feelings. Here's the objective truth. Where am I going to go with that? Do you understand? That's faith. It doesn't seem like if I'm obedient, this is going to work out that way, but I'm going to be obedient because that's called faith and I'm trusting in him and not in myself. Do you understand? That's what we pursue every day. That's what we practice. That's what we go after as Christians. Pursue love. Love for Jesus Christ, love for others, and love for the truth, man. Love for the truth. Love where you are selfless, that it's selfless, that it's not about you, that it's sacrificial, that it's for others in the name of Christ, and that it's sincere that it's real, that it's not just mustered up. It's not just, oh, I have to love because I'm a Christian. No, I just exude love because Christ loved me and this is who I'm called to be and this is who I am in him. Pursue that love. Steadfastness, that means perseverance. That means just going on and on. That's endurance. This is life. This is, this is lifelong. It's not giving up. It's not giving in. It's not going along when it's wrong to go along, man. It's standing on his word. It's enduring. It's steadfast. It's staying faithful. It's staying true. And it's staying loyal until the end. That's why Christianity is described as a race, man, like a marathon. It's a long run. I'm telling you, man, as I get older, I see a lot of people, and we know several people, not so many, but at least several people that aren't walking with the Lord anymore. There were, at one time, they were really strong Christians. You know what? As the older you get, the more people you're going to know like that. Man, that dude really loved the Lord. He really followed the Lord, but now he's living in the world. See, that, that steadfastness is, is, is staying power, man. It's faithfulness throughout. It's total dependence on the Lord throughout your life to the end. You, you could... You got to cross that finish line trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So, so there's that steadfastness. We pursue that. We understand that. And then finally, gentleness. He says, pursue gentleness. That's meekness. That's, that's trans, it can be translated gentleness. And that meekness is just a beautiful combination, isn't it? Don't you love meekness? It's a beautiful combination of genuine humility, and I mean real humility and, and approachability and comfortability, right? Where you're just comfortable with that person and that person is so approachable and so um, available and so humble in many ways, but just combined with the strength that's there. It's not kind of like, oh, just a really nice person, nice guy, uh, kind of 
will say what you want to hear at the time. No, no, it's, it's truly humble and truly approachable, but there's a real strength there underneath that, a real confidence, a real resolve, and a real conviction that can't be moved from the word of God. That's, that's the gentleness. That's what we need to pursue. That's the kind of people we ought to be. That's what needs to characterize us as Christians in this way. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. You flee from sin, but you pursue, go after righteousness godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. That's our sanctification. That's becoming more and more like Christ. Is that evident in your life? Are you more like this or are you less like this? See, this is a good measuring stick as well for us in our lives. Are we becoming more like Christ? Are we increasing in these ways, generally speaking, more and more in our faith, our love, and, and righteousness, and so forth? Or is it the other way? Where do your affections lie? He's, chal- he's, he's commanding young Timothy here, in this way, right? These are to characterize us because they're consistent with our calling in Christ. It's not who we're not. This is who we are in Christ. And so we continue to grow in him in this way. Does that make sense? That's what, the, that's what scripture teaches very plainly. We pursue these things. They don't just appear. Right? They don't just appear. We need to depend on him. Lord, help me to be more loving. Help me to be the man that you need me to be for my wife, for my family, for my kids, for my church, for my friends, for my enemies. To be that man, to, to, to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit by your grace and through, and through your Spirit. So we run away. Are you running away? Or are you going to sin? Are you, are you being captured by it? We run towards faithfulness, righteousness, growth, maturity as Christians. We need to be maturing in these ways. The third characteristic, this is the last one, regarding the nature of Christianity, is that you, that we, are in a constant battle as Christians. He says this. He tells Timothy, again, this is all very strong language. He's not like just kind of suggesting or say, like, you know, hey, think about it this way. He's saying this is what it is. He says that, that you need to fight the good fight of faith. That's the command to fight the good fight of faith. It's not a suggestion. You fight the good fight of faith. In other words, you fight the good fight for the faith and you fight the good fight according to the faith, his faith, the, 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 the truth. You know, Scripture describes us as warriors, doesn't it? As soldiers in the army of God. We, we, and, and we are, as Christians, by nature, living in this world, if you think about it, that analogy, we are like soldiers behind enemy lines. We're like in enemy territory, right? Yes, Christ is king over all, and he has ultimate authority, absolutely. And yet Satan is the ruler of this world, allowed by the Lord. So even in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, small g, God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world is a reference to Satan. He's allowed to have major influence on ideals, on opinions, on philosophies, on world religions. He is He rules over the unbelievers in this world. Ephesians 2, chapter 2 tells us, and and you were dead 
at one time, Christians. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You understand? The battle is real. We're in a fight. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, and it's not just on a personal level with our sanctification, it's on a corporate level as well, right? That we're, as Christians, we're, we are, we're in a battle for the hearts and minds and souls. And this is for keeps, absolutely. Uh, Ephesians 6, 12 tells us this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now that manifests itself in the world in which we live in as Christians. But that is absolutely in a meta way which is going on. It's very real and it's very present. Do you understand that? If you're a Christian, then you are in a battle and it's, a, it's an unending, it's, it's ceaseless. Those arrows continue to come, continue to come. Every turn, every way, that's why we have to take every single thought captive to the obedience of Christ, right? Because Satan is always there. The world, the flesh, the devil, absolutely, all the time, constant battle. You need to re- if, whether you realize it or not, you are in that battle, in that spiritual battle. Paul's making that plain. So he says, that you need to fight. What are you going to do? Are you just going to take it or are you going to fight the good fight of faith? And that's the command to us as Christians, Right? And we don't use our own. We don't do it on our own strength. We don't do it in our own ways. We're not clever about it. We put on God's armor and we fight it by faith. So we're faithful to his word. That's how we live this life. That's how we uh, win this war. That's how we battle as Christians. We're instructed in Ephesians chapter 6. I will ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. You guys know the passage, but it's so instructive and it just gives a, a, a real picture of what we face. It doesn't seem like it because here we are. We just you know, do what we do in our lives. You have to realize constantly the nature of the battle, that we're in the battle, and that we have to act as we are taught. And so we are to fight the, the good fight. So Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10 and moving forward, Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his strength, in the strength of his might, the battle belongs to the Lord. Again, we don't do this in our, on our own strength, in our own way, but according to his word and in his strength. He says, put on the whole armor of God, and this is the language, look how vivid it is, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because he's out there, he's coming for us, it's relentless every day, get your eyes off of Christ, that's his goal. He's successful so much of the time, even with so many of us, right, to take our eyes off. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. Therefore, because that's the case, because that's true, you take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. Do you have the belt of truth on? That's his, that's his word. Tell the truth. There is one truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is not just what one person thinks or what they think is good for them. There is one objective truth in the word. So we, we carry that truth with us. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, as we talked about that, the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And that flaming darts, when he talks about that, it's not just necessarily like taking aim like a, like a sniper would, you know, with the dart. The idea here, when we talk about the relentlessness of sin and temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the idea of those flaming darts is, is when the, when the uh, soldiers are, are standing at the, at the top of the castle and all of them at one time fire, and it just kind of rains down on you, and it's relentless. If you don't have that shield up there, one of those are going to find you. That's what it's like, man. Sorry, it just is. That's why we rely on the Lord God. That's why you're a soldier in his army, right? This is what we're called to. And sometimes it gets very lonely, and sometimes it gets very difficult, and sometimes we just want to say no. But we must say yes in Christ, and we must be strong in him. He goes on, which can extinguish uh, the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And he goes on to pray, ask him to pray for himself. But, but do you understand that? Do you see that? Uh, you need to be ready to be engaged on, on a personal level, but on a corporate level as the church and as Christians. We're fighting the good fight of faith. That good fight is to be strong and to be willing and to be engaged. And a faith means that you're going to be faithful in that fight, right? Let me tell you, there's no neutrality with Christ. If you're not, he, if you're not for him, then what? You tell me. If you're not for him, that's right. If you're not with him, then you are without him in this world. If you're not serving Christ, then let me tell you, you're enslaved to Satan. That's it. There's no middle ground. We want to play this game. You can't have it both ways. You can't serve two masters. You can't say, I want a whole lot of Christ. Yeah, yeah, mostly Jesus. But you give me this one little area, just this one little place that belongs to me, that's mine, right? No, Christ has every inch, every centimeter, every millimeter of your life or is nothing at all. That's the stakes. That's what's at stake. Do you understand? You can't play at, at this. The stakes are too high. Too many Christians or so-called Christians or professing Christians are just playing, just playing the game. We're just going to come on church on Sunday. We're going to do our Wednesday night thing, maybe, do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I'm going to live the life the way I see fit. That's not what I'll do. You're going to get cut down in the battle. You're no match for Satan in that way. It's over for you. Do you understand? Do you get that? This is... You can't say that you know him and then deny him by your disobedience. Of course we're going to disobey. Of course we're going to sin. But we go back and we repent and we truly feel that. And then we're renewed in Christ. But you can't be flippant about it. Oh, I know Christ, but I'm just going to do what I want anyway. You can't say that you trust him and then do it your own way anyway, man. Oh, I trust God. I trust the Lord. I trust his word. But here's how I'm going to do this anyway. Here's what I'm going to do. And this is the decisions that I'm going to make, even though it's counter to scripture. Right? It doesn't work like that. But so many people think it does. They come to church. You can't say that you're a follower of Christ, but then have no problem lying, cheating, stealing, you know, gossiping, getting involved in, in places and things you shouldn't be involved in, holding on to that bitterness in your spirit, being a harsh person. No, you can't, you, you can't say that you're a follower, but then like have no problem with these things. 
As soon as you're tested, as soon as something comes, well, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to say that to cover this because that's the easy way out because I can get away with it. Are you kidding me or what? This is not, that's not Christianity. That's, we're in a battle, right? And it's very real. And there's so much at stake. Eternity is at stake. We keep on saying time after time, you hear me, you hear Luke, you hear Aaron say, this is not a game. Christianity, we can't play like that. Paul says, you fight that good fight. Don't you love that? Fight the good fight of faith. Because you're in it, whether you want to be or not. If you're in Christ, you are in this battle. And Satan wants us to be defeated. Satan longs for us not to be engaged or to be involved in sin in some ways where our mind is off of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says and has to remind him and command him to fight the good fight. You know what fighting means? You know how to fight the good fight? All that means is standing on the word of God, even if everybody else, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be your husband, your wife, your children, your family. It doesn't matter who it is, the political leaders. It's standing on the word of God, even if everybody else abandons it. You let God be true, though every other man a liar. Remember Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress? Even when he was running away from his family, he just had his ears because he was running to to that kingdom of God. It's Christ. Fighting the good fight of faith? You know what that looks like? It's a willingness to endure for the sake of Christ. Endure what? Endure ridicule? Endure pain? Endure loss? Endure shame? For the truth. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to fight the good fight? Because we could talk a lot. We could say a lot. I could talk all day like this. But if I'm pressed on something that's going to cost me significantly, then what am I going to do? See, that's the fight of good faith. When you're willing to give up even the important things for the sake of the truth and for the sake of Christ. Are you willing to do that? That's fighting the good fight of faith. Fighting the good fight means defending and obeying the word of God no matter what the cost. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing just to compromise? Hey, you could believe that, right? You could, I, this is what I think, but hey, it's okay what you think. No, it's not okay if we believe this is the truth. You, know, you might think that, but here's what the truth is. And are you willing to pay the price to defend that? Fighting the fight, good fight of faith, means dying to yourself, man. It means saying no to sin when everything inside you wants to say yes. It means carrying your cross, counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And you know what I mean about that sin, when everything inside you wants to say yes to it, when you have such that desire and nobody's going to know really, right, and I could do this, and I'm going to go there in my mind, or I'm going to go there physically, I'm going to go there emotionally, I'm going to go there spiritually. No, no. Fight the good fight of faith. I'm willing to die to myself in order to honor Christ, that he might be exalted in my body. I'll do nothing to bring shame to his name as, as a professing believer of Jesus Christ. Far too many Christians that profess Christ bring so much shame to his name. Again, it's not that, we, that we're to be sinless and we don't sin and we don't repent, but we're just flippant about it. and We just give ourselves over and we take the easy way out almost every single time. And we go to that sin so often. It's just like very natural to us, and it shouldn't be as Christians. Are you fighting the good fight this morning? I'm going to ask you that question. Are you fighting the good fight of faith? He tells him here, you fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. That's what you're called to do, and that's what all of us are called to do as Christians. Are you fighting? Or are you A-W-O-L? 
in this battle. Are you in a foxhole while other brothers and sisters are out there taking the bullets and taking the shots? And you're just kind of back here. Yeah, you go ahead and do that. I'm just going to stay back here. I'm just going to you know, kind of bury myself here while you, while you take the bullets. Are you going to stand strong? Or, like so many, just lay down your weapons. Just surrender even to sin and to the world and to your desires, and to whatever else, and retreat. There's a lot of Christian soldiers that are dead in that way, because, or, or have surrendered, they've laid down the weapons, they, they've stopped fighting the, the good fight, right? At least they're, they're retreating, they're disengaged in the Christian life, they're overwhelmed by everything that's happening, and so we're not going to engage with the truth, that's why so many churches have just given into this LBGDQ stuff that's out there, right? Oh, we're this friendly, we're that friendly. We'll just, we'll just lay down our arms and just come right on in, right? The same thing with, with, with CRT. Just come on in. Progressive Christianity, that's, really, that's a really cool Christianity. It kind of just accepts you where you're at. It's okay if you're questioning Christianity and the faith. That's all right. We're, we're nice and progressive. You could do, that's just liberalism made up, you know. It's like slapping lipstick on a pig. That's all that is, progressive Christianity. That's it. But in essence, that's laying down the arms. It's saying, come on in, enemy. We're, we're kind of, you know, we're going to call ourselves Christians, but we're not going to defend the faith. We're not going to fight the good fight. We're just going to give in. And all this is tough stuff. Believe me, I'm very convicted. I was convicted as I was preparing this sermon. So if you're convicted, good, join the club. That word fight, do you know what that word is in the Greek? Any Greek scholars? Agonizomai. Agonizomai. What word comes from that? Agonizomai. You can hear it. Agony. That's it. He says, when he says, fight the good fight. When he says, you fight, it's agonizomai. That indicates a deep level of concentration, a, a, a determination. You know, when you agonize over something and you're just studying, whatever it is, you're just looking at it. You take pains with these things because it means that much to you, because it is that important to you. And yes, it is difficult, but it's worth it. He says, agonizomai, struggle. You put that effort into it. You be disciplined. How many professing Christians don't even spend a minute a week in their Bibles or in prayer or on their knees or even thinking about the implications of their sins? Are you kidding me? Where's the agonizomai in that? It's nothing of the sort. Kind of just give it over. We can't be like that. We have to be serious about our faith, about our with conviction. It means everything. That's why he says to him, "You agonize with these things. You take this should be the most important thing to you to be in His Word, to grow in His Word, <clears throat> to know Him every single day." You know why? Critical critical theory in BLM is is so popular and so powerful today. Because they agonizomai. Now, their philosophy, their ideology is, is sinful, it's wrong, it's, 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 it's way off. But they agonizomai. And don't think that they don't have an effect because they're serious about what they believe in. And it is being brought to bear. It doesn't matter. From the biggest corporations to the smallest school boards, it's, it's there because they're serious about it. They're the soldiers that are fighting. Well, Christians don't even, you know, Come on in. I'll lay down my arms. 
He says, you fight that good fight. Don't let them win. This isn't a game. The stakes are high. The issues are eternal. And Christianity is not a simply, simply a cultural construct. Now, they're cultural Christians, that's to be sure. Way too many cultural Christians. Just kind of, oh, we're Christians because we live here. We're Christians because we go to church. We're Christians because we send our kids to a Christian school. We're Christians because we homeschool. Mm. You're Christians. It's not a cultural construct. You're Christians because it's a personal relationship with the only Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ, where your life through faith and repentance and belief in Christ is transformed. You are no longer your own. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ, and you belong absolutely 100% to him, not yourself. That's Christianity. And when we get that, when we understand that, and we begin to live for him, is when we begin to fight the good fight of faith. When we live for Christ with every fiber of our being, with every breath that we have. Do you have that kind of fight in you? Are you that dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you playing a game? Don't you want to say like the Apostle Paul, what are you going to say at the end of your life when you know you're dying? Don't you want to be able to say with Paul what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 as he comes to the end of his life? Look what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen? That's, that, that should be one of your strongest desires. Is I have fought the good fight. I've endured. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Are you fighting the good fight of faith? Are you in the work? Do you trust in him? So yes, man, yes. What we need to do in summary, run. Run far, run fast away from sin, as he instructs Timothy. Pursue, run to righteousness. Be relentless by his spirit to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, and all all the fruit of the spirit. And be willing to agonizomai, to take pains for the faith, to fight the good fight. Because that shows how much it means to you and, and how much it means for us as you fight the good fight of faith. As we do that individually, then corporately we're strong. Then we're good soldiers. Then all this stuff that's going on is not going to pass. It's not going to get through because we have the truth. Be willing to agonizomai for the faith. All to the glory of Christ and for the good of all of those that God gives you the privilege to minister to, whether they're your friend or your foes. Are you willing to do that? Are we doing that? And if not, why not?